This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I mentioned in episode 462 that I'm doing a new training program called How to Be a Transformative Principle. It's for those who are in their first three years of being a principal or assistant principals or aspiring principals who want to level up their game right now. Join me at jethrojones.com slash how the number two B, how to be. We'll see you there. That's jethrojones.com slash how to be. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the program today, Dr. Mike Gaskell. Dr. Mike Gaskell is the principal of Hammerschold Middle School in East Brunswick, New Jersey, following experience as a special educator and assistant principal in Paramus, New Jersey. He continues to model the pursuit of lifelong learning as he serves to mentor new principals through New Jersey Leaders to Leaders program. He's an NJPSA STARS recipient. He has been published in over two dozen articles in education journals and blogs, including eSchool News, NASSP, EdTech, and ASCD Smart Brief. And he has made the most read section of ASCD Smart Brief multiple times. Mike had a book published in October 2020, MicroStrategy Magic, and a second book published in September 2021, Leading Schools Through Trauma. Dr. Gaskell works tirelessly to support instructional excellence and student success for a school community, and most importantly, for the wellness and equity of all children. Mike, welcome to Transformative Principle. It's great to be here with you, Jethro. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk with you today. I love talking to principals who are doing the work, so thanks for being here. Let's start. Uh, we're going to talk about trauma overall today. And if anybody's listened to the podcast, they know that we've talked about this a lot on here. We've had several different guests on who have talked about it. And I want to talk today about the specific strategies that you are implementing on a day-to-day basis to deal with the trauma that your kids have experienced. So let's start there and just talk a little bit about, about what it is that you do to help with that. Yeah, I think the key is that teachers in classrooms need day-to-day strategies, strategies that we can share with them, which we're going to hopefully do here uh, tomorrow, right away. And it's not something that's super complicated that they have to spend days in PD sessions about. So I can throw a few strategies at you right now. 
Yeah, let's start with one and we'll talk about it. Absolutely. So let me start with something I call gamification. And this concept, if anybody's ever done a Kahoot or a Pear Deck or a Flipgrid or any of these kinds of uh, interactive uh, activities, Nearpod, that requires a teacher to basically present something in a, a slideshow format, which is very common nowadays in things like Google Slides, and then allows for a response by the students. And most students now are in one-to-one uh, environments, given that we just came out of a pandemic where they all had to get computers. And if they're not, they can still respond in other ways, such as on iPads or, or their cell phones. And it allows the teacher to go through a lesson and then have students respond in such a way that teachers can then take that response and capture it and then download it, export it, analyze it, and track it over time. And then more importantly, show students that as their responses continue, they start to show some growth and improvement over time, which is very self-motivating. There's a concept I call small wins that ties directly into this. And this is the idea that as kids are seeing on a trajectory, that they're moving in the right direction. Even if it's a remarkably imperfect progress line, they're still moving like a stock market chart in the right direction upward. And that's a very powerful visual that we can present to students. So I get into some details in the book about how to use gamification in a simplistic way, how to export that data, and then how to motivate kids to move on to the next level. That's one example. So gamification doesn't really seem like something that I would think of as the first step in helping kids who have experienced trauma. So how specifically does this help kids who who have experienced that? Yeah, it actually helps them in a lot more powerful and subtle ways than we may imagine. And the idea behind this is that we've all come back from a pandemic. We have a year and a half that kids have not had a normal school day. And for the first time, we're saying, oh my gosh, kids are having to adjust back to a normal school day, number one. And number two, we need data. We need to know where kids are. Unfortunately, when you test kids, it's one of the primal examples of creating anxiety. And that's the last thing we want to do. So the way to get data is through this gamification concept, through grabbing responses in a formative, engaging way. We know from research that gamification is highly engaging for students and they don't feel like it's a test and yet you're getting responses from them. So this is one way to start getting information, first of all, and secondly, then showing them the growth patterns. But to back up a little, you asked me, well, what about some of the things that they can jump right into? So I want to give you another a quick example. Uh, one is called teacher greeting at the door. And there's been some studies done on this. And here's the idea behind it. Feedback is a powerful motivator for kids. And if, they, if a teacher is at the door greeting kids, there was a study done several years ago specifically with children with behavior challenges. So many of these kids happen to be traumatized as well. And what they found was on-task engagement jumped from 45% to 72% with behaviorally challenged kids just by changing one thing, the greeting at the door. That's powerful, and it's one small task. This ties into something I also call the one-sentence intervention, which over time takes some investment by a teacher, we say about 10 school days. But that's not a lot of time if you think about it over a 180-day school year and allowing that time to build up and creating these one-sentence intervention kinds of comments. And so the teacher greeting at the door is simply, hey, I really like the shoes you wore today. Or it's so great to see you here on time. And those positive kinds of statements that get kids to think, wow, that's a nice comment. And kids that are traumatized are ready to be tested and to expect adults to give up on them. And when they don't and they hear over time the sustenance, they start to believe it themselves. I think I want to stop there on that teacher greeting at the door, because this is a really important thing that 
in many situations, especially in PBIS schools, they talk about positive to negative ratios and how it's really easy for someone who's been exposed to trauma to interpret everything as a negative. And so it's so important to, to push those positive opportunities to say something as soon as you can. So they don't even have a chance to say you're mad at me. And sometimes those greetings at the door, like nice to see you show up on time today could be interpreted as rude if that kid is consistently tardy. So you got to think about that when you're doing it, because it's too easy to fall into the trap of saying something that's going to set them off even more when you know enough about them that you would know that that would set them off. Absolutely. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be believable. So you can't just say something that you're creating because you're looking to praise them positively. But if it's something, even if it's small, that you can say that you mean, they're going to start to believe it better. And that's great that you mentioned praise to criticism ratio because that's in the book. And we talk about uh, you know the, the concept that actually this was originated with successful marriages of all things, mm-hmm. found that in a minimum three to one positive to negative ratio, successful marriages of decades long were the ones that had the most resilience because the the couples in that relationship were issuing positive praise at at least a three to one ratio. And again, it was authentic. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was created or fabricated. Yeah. And, and that authentic piece, I, again, I just want to re identify how important that is. And it doesn't have to be anything that matters to you. It can just be something that matters to the kids. So being able to find something that you appreciate, admire, respect, enjoy, don't hate any of those things will be good to say, Hey, I'm glad that you are here and I care about you. And I see you as a person. Those are little tiny things that build up into a lot over time very quickly for students. A hundred percent. Those micro comments can have macro uh, impact over time. I like that. Micro comments can have macro impact. That's good. And I just came up with it, by the way, you won't see that anywhere, (laughs) at least not in my writing. Very good. Let's talk yep. about some other strategies. Yeah. So here's a really cool one. So one of the things that traumatized individuals have is a constant disruption of productive flow. You think about it. If I'm traumatized, if I'm anxious, if I'm stressed, I'm not really able to stay focused and tuned in to something. And part of the problem with that is when we're not productive, we start to get even more scatterbrained. If we've ever had a bad day, we all know what this is. We all know what it's mm-hmm. like to feel like you're just not getting anything accomplished. So there's something as simple as what I call coffee talk. And here's how this works. There are apps and YouTube, of course, that allows you to just Google coffee background noise sounds, something like um, you know coffee house sounds. And you know you can find these uh, meditation apps with like four hours of sounds. Well, it's the same idea with this. And it's interesting. A study was done a few years ago that found that if individuals are in a coffee house, it happens to be the ideal decibel sound. I'm going to get a little geeky with you here, so bear with I me. I like it. <laughs> and, and it's this idea that at the perfect tonal sound and melody entering your ears, you're actually getting this perfect amount of slight exterior noise that actually creates what I call a distracted focus. So it distracts you away enough from the external stimuli, the cell phone, the screaming kid, the whatever. And it creates this ambiance that allows you to stay focused. And it takes about five minutes 
for the typical person to settle into this sound. And once they do, they feel very productive. They feel very focused. And then what's great on the other side of this is they actually feel very accomplished because they were able to produce something. So you might say, well, how do you bring coffee? You can't bring a a kid to a coffee house and teach them there. But again, I mentioned earlier, there's apps. There's also YouTube. And most kids nowadays, as I said, either have a one-to-one device or a cell phone, and they have headphones. So obviously, we don't want coffee house sounds bursting out around the entire room. But if a kid needs to work on an independent assignment and you're really trying to get them focused, this is a great way to do it. If you've ever been in a coffee house, you probably know to some extent what I'm talking about. You kind of lose yourself in that sound. And you know, great writers have gone into coffee houses and those that just needed to settle in and have a wonderful conversation with an old friend. And so there's this concept of coffee talk. And if you look at the research, there's a website called Coffeeativity. And if you look at that website, they, they go into this really geeky research, but they do a nice job of summarizing it and explaining why this perfect tonal melody works. And again, a kid's now being productive and feeling better about themselves because they were able to sit there for 20 or 30 minutes listening to this background noise and stay really focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And that's that's something that I have found also help everybody in that situation. Um, there are some people that it doesn't help who it's more distracting and the vast majority, however, it does help. So uh, correction there. It, what you're also signifying when you do that is that I care about you being able to focus yourself and not so much about whatever else is going on around you. And so giving kids options like that to be able to do something productive with their time is a really powerful uh, example of how to how to help with that. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. And we have the digital tools and flexibility that we gain from, I I always refer to this as carrying ideas out of quarantine, that Mm -hmm. we adapted because we came up with these ideas. Teachers learned more PD in a year and a half than they ever would have on technology tools because we had to. So we we embraced these ideas and now we came up with some options. And we also realized little things like the kind of seating that kids have. So We've all heard of like right size seating, or if we haven't, then it's just a very simple concept that we're letting kids sit in their comfort zone. And think about it. They did that for a year and a half. And now they have to come back and sit in chairs and rows in most cases, and that's not good for them. So if we give them some flexibility, some of the greatest teachers I've seen, and again, I back this up with research in the book allow kids the freedom and the flexibility to sit on beanbag chairs, to sit at desks that they're actually standing at, to take a knee, to sit in a corner, to sit in a rocking chair. And 
they're able to stay focused. Why? Because they're in their comfort zone. It's like sitting with a great cup of coffee in your sofa chair and focusing on bills or writing or whatever the thing is, the task you need to get done. So this is yet another way for kids to feel comfortable. And then they know that they have this option when they come into the room. It's not so tense and, and uh, you know institutionalized. They feel like they can sit in a comfort zone that's closer to home. And that's, that's a powerful tool as well that works very easily in almost every classroom. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about seating and having flexible seating. I like that you call it right size seating because it's like, it's like the idea of having a brave space where you, instead of a safe space, a brave space means that you are the one taking action. A safe space means that other people are taking the actions to make it safe for you. And I like the empowerment uh, that brave space connotes because it makes you think that the the person is the one who does have the power and they should. And so with right size seating, it's the same kind of thing that it shouldn't matter to us, to to us, how much kids sit in straight rows in uncomfortable chairs. And I remember the first time that I did a shadow, a student um, experience where I would follow a student around and see what their day was like. The first thing I noticed was how uncomfortable I was all day long by sitting in these chairs. And I happened to be following around a larger than normal student in my middle school. And I remember thinking this, this young man must be totally uncomfortable all the time. And sure enough, once I started talking to him, I realized he really was uncomfortable and I didn't even think about it, but the chairs were too small for him. They weren't comfortable. They put pressure on different parts of his body that didn't feel good. And so that's how I first learned to get better seating in my school and then what we did is we had a teacher who said that she wanted a, not a treadmill desk, but a exercise a bike, desk. Uh, no, an a exercise bike desk. desk so that she okay, could, right. so the kids could cool. sit on and pedal on the bike uh, while they were in her class. And we ended up getting one for pretty much every classroom. Then we got standing desks for every classroom. We got little beanbags for every classroom and, and all these different options. And once you start putting a bunch of different options out there, then you see that certain kids gravitate towards them. But they really help with issues that kids are having that if you're already feeling anxious and full of anxiety and then you have to sit in an uncomfortable chair all day long and then you don't like the noises that are happening, like all this stuff builds up and makes it really challenging for kids to deal with all of that stuff that's facing them. Yeah, I love it. It's like you read this section of my book because I talked about how a a kind of a secondary component advantage to this is that traumatized kids are often traumatized in part because they have limited choices. They don't have a lot of control of their own circumstances. Mm -hmm. So when we start to give simple choices back to them, like how would you like to sit? It actually has positive ramifications. The other thing you mentioned, because you just uh, said, it's like, like I said, you read this section of my book already, (laughs) is, is the idea of when you move the body, you move the mind, as I like to say. So when kids are on a standing, moving uh, treadmill kind of a desk, or you're al- you're allowing them to get up and stretch and move around, or just in general, just pace, even pacing is is great. Then kids, uh, you know, start to activate parts of their brain because there's blood flowing to the cognitive regions that need it. And this is why when people walk, they often come up with some of the greatest ideas. And here we are, traditionally in schools, making kids sit for six to eight hours a day. So there definitely is a benefit to a lot of movement for most kids, not all kids, but many kids. Yeah, absolutely. And anything that you can do to get that movement to happen more throughout the day, I think is going to be beneficial. Absolutely. All right, let's do one more, one more strategy and then we'll wrap it up. I got it. I got another nugget for you. 
So this is uh, something that we've probably all heard some version of, but I'm going to keep it really simple so that you can start to share this with your kids right away. And this is the idea of breathing exercises. And I specifically hone in on something called the 458 method. And the reason I picked that one isn't because I think it's any better than any of the other ones. The reason I picked that one is because it's easy to remember 458. Mm -hmm. And if you go to YouTube, you'll find this right away. And it's a very simple concept of the amount of seconds that you're counting for in, five out, eight in. And you're sort of going through this cycle. What's happening is you're moving your diaphragm and you're actually allowing for this experience that's deeper than a normal breath. And in reality, we know that when people are controlling their breathing, we often hear people say, slow your breathing down. And we know that there's a lot that allows kids to reduce their anxiety almost immediately. It only takes usually a couple of minutes. The reason I love this one so much is kids can take their breath with them everywhere. They can't take a device everywhere. They can't take their therapist everywhere. And they can't take a teacher everywhere. They can't take that person that they might be relying on or that tool, but they can take their breath with them. And that's such an important component of this because we can also teach them to use this to now self-regulate. That's why it's such a great tool because they're not just learning this for that class or this circumstance. They're learning this as a lifelong skill. They're going to be able to carry with them throughout their life. And in situations where they're in outside of school, where they're going to be able to say, okay, I remember that breathing exercise. And my own daughter even did this. And she said, daddy, daddy, it worked. And it's helping me deal with my own anxiety because she had some challenges and she's doing fine with it. So I encourage this kind of a simple, subtle technique that takes about five minutes. A lot of the things I get into in the book are five minutes. And the whole idea behind that is none of us have the time to be jumping into these long-term ideas that... And I'll never say to you, replace a school counselor, right? That's a 30, 40 minute counseling session. And that's a practical thing that's needed. But in the classroom where we need a quick thing, these are the ideas I suggest. Yeah, those are, those are great ideas. And one of the other ones that I would add to that, wait, going back to the four, five, eight breathing, you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for five and exhale for eight. Is that right? It's either that or the reverse. (laughs) Okay. One of the two. Yeah. (laughs) I have to go look at it sometimes when I'm suggesting it. Right. Yeah. And, and you know what? It doesn't really matter to be honest. That's the whole point. That's because think about your breathing and pay attention to it and do it slower than you usually do. And I think that that is, that is really good. So I think the other thing that I would add here is you can also help kids overcome their challenges by helping them learn how to set goals for themselves and to be aware of things themselves. And this, you know, takes a longer amount of time to do, but it's it's really pretty easy when a kid is struggling to just say, "Hey, I notice you're struggling right now. What do you want to accomplish in the next 10 minutes before we leave?" Well, I just want to breathe for 3 minutes. Okay, so over the next 10 minutes, you want to breathe for 3 minutes. Great. Why don't you do that? And you can like I can let you do that and you can do it and it'll be fine. And that is a perfectly acceptable approach and a perfectly acceptable way to deal with that. And adding in that goal setting piece to, to help them self-regulate rather than relying on an external something to make them regulate is, is a much better way to do it. Any thoughts on goal setting that you'd like to add? Yeah, absolutely. And I talked about this a little bit earlier when I mentioned small wins. So there's this idea that you need to have kids, again, this gives them the choice Uh, the power to say, what are my goals? It's not the teacher's goals. It's not my parents' goals. It's not my coach's goals. It's my goals. And allowing them that choice and then having them go about 4% outside of their comfort zone is what's considered the ideal sweet spot. The reason that, that that 
random number 4% is thrown out there, is it's the idea of taking four or five steps up a stairwell, not 80, but four, and then being able to look back and say, oh, I'm still in the safe zone. I can turn back if I need to, or I can take four more. And four becomes eight, becomes 16, and it becomes a cumulative effect. So this idea of, of small wins and building on those over time versus this massive goal that's too far away, 82 steps, and now I'm overly anxious, is a much more attainable, realistic, and feel-good experience for a kid, especially those that are traumatized. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, my last question, Mike, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I think they have to do their best to listen to everybody. Listening is probably the skill that when I started as an administrator, I didn't do as good of a job. And I can always do a better job. And I think it's really important to allow people, even if we don't agree with them, to feel like they have a voice. That's more important than ever with kids and, of course, your faculty. Yeah. Well, it's funny you said that because our last guest, Becca Silver, in uh, episode 465, I think. Yep. 465. She said the exact same thing that you should listen. That's how you become a transformative principal. So I'm glad that there's two episodes right in a row where we're talking about the same thing. That's we're just confirming each other. That's right. Very good. Well, Mike, this has been awesome talking to you. If people want to follow you on Twitter, they can reach you at Gaskell, M. Gaskell. That's with two L's in Gaskell. And then also if they uh, want to go to your website, that is mikesmicrominute.com. Anything That's else right. you want to want to plug while we're, while we're here? The, uh, you mentioned the, the book and also uh, my book from a year ago. And I think it's, you know, I also actively publish blogs and articles on journals. So if anybody Googles Mike Gaskell articles, uh, you're more than welcome to, to discover some other interesting, more shorter term kinds of bursts of ideas. I do have one coming out in education post. So. Okay, very good. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being part of Transformative Principle today. It's been an honor talking with you and I appreciate you sharing your strategies for dealing with trauma today. My pleasure. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.